Join me on my journey as I explore wealth in all areas of life. I'm your host, Mindy Kinnis, and this is The Lucrative Society. Welcome, everyone. I am so delighted today to have my friend Brian Kurtz with me. Brian, welcome to The Lucrative Society. Thank you for having me, Mindy. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Really great. It is really great to have you here because it's been way too long since we have hung out. We, before you hit record, we, we were talking and, and it was like, let's just talk for a while because we hadn't seen each other in a while. So. <laughs> exactly. It's always good to catch up. And I was like, Brian, you're spitting some good knowledge. So let me just start the show. <laughs> like, yeah, you just... never know what's going to happen later. So <laughs> might as well get it while you can get it. Right. I get it. I get it. I get it. Exactly. Exactly. My point. So one of the things that I ask everybody on this show, because as you know, it has been this long time journey for me to kind of understand this stuff, figure this stuff out, you know, make it work for me in my life and my business. But you have a really, really interesting story. And I just want to start with how do you personally define wealth? Wow. Well, it's definitely not, it's not money, which is the, you know, it, 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 money is part of the, the equation, but I, I go with, um, I go with the uh, Dan Sullivan. Well, he has the five ways you get paid and the fifth is money. And so I think those five things are, I don't know if anybody's done this on the show before, but these five things are really what wealth is. So the five ways you get paid are, so you utilize me, I enhance you, I appreciate you, I refer you, and then the fifth would be you, I get rewarded for that. And it, I can go on for a long time, as you know, so I'm gonna to try to keep it short and sweet. <laughs> um, but I do, I will say that if you don't, if you do those four, first four things correctly, in other words, you go into the world and say, utilize me, here's my stuff, here's my value, I can give you this. I mean, you know, when I, when I first met you, it was like, you were doing some stuff and I sent you some swipe files and it was like an always, it was always like, utilize me. You don't have to pay me, utilize me. I don't know if I'm ever going to get paid from you. doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Let's be clear. I have paid you. To you be have paid me and I wasn't, <laughs> and I wasn't gunning for it either, which shows you're an exact, you're the exact person that I want in my life. You may spend money on me, you may not, but I'm going to give a hundred zero to you all the time. And so I give a hundred zero. If you don't, pay me for that, it's okay. Because I gave you 100 zero, you've got value. You take my value, maybe go you have someone utilize you for some variation of that. And then maybe it comes back to me from that person. Or I give you 100 zero and something happens out of the blue. And I believe that's serendipity. Because I shared with you and, and had you utilize me, then I got something from the ether, you know? Because I'm not, I'm not that religious and I'm not that spiritual. But I believe, we just said, you know, when we started the interview, you looked at your, your, your phone and you said, it's 11-11. And you said, that's Sean's favorite time. And I said, shit, that's my favorite time too. And we said, oh, so Sean's watching this interview. He had nothing else to do today. So he's watching this interview. <laughs> um, so I just, you know, so utilization is one. Two is enhancement. I just want to enhance your life. And as long as I enhance your life, you're going to keep me in your world. Again, it's, you're getting paid just because you're enhancing somebody. I mean, I, I talk about in my book where I, I have a table here and all day long, I think about stuff that I can give to people that's sitting around cluttering up my office. It's a re-gift, but it's something that means something to them. But the meaningful thing, it goes into the third thing, which is appreciation. 
is the is the note that goes on the book or the or the something or other that I have in my office. I want to clean out my junk. I want to give it to somebody who can use it or it means something in our relationship. And then the note is where the appreciation comes in. And so I have a table here and I just pile it up all week. And pre-COVID, you know, my assistant would come in, organize it, get it all mailed, because I don't like going to the post office, even though I love <laughs> the mail, but I don't like the post office. And so she would send it out. And I get, just by walk, do, setting up the envelope, walking around and putting the stuff on my table, I get an endorphin rush. I get an endorphin rush from the fact that I'm, I'm giving to somebody, I'm appreciating somebody, I'm enhancing somebody. It may be utilization too. I may be combining all three utilization, uh, enhancement, and appreciation. But, and so that gives me the endorphin rush. Is that getting paid? Is that wealth? Yeah, I think it is. I, I definitely know it is because I've made a lot of money and it wasn't because I just was looking for money everywhere. It was because I do this. And then the fourth thing, which is really good, and it's basically, it's based on um, uh, Robert Cialdini's first principle, uh, ethical principle of, it, of influence. And it's reciprocation. But reciprocation in the internet marketing world is not what I'm talking about. You mail for me, I'll mail for you. If I get 50,000 leads, I have to get two more mailings to get the, you know, if that's not reciprocation. Reciprocation is, and, and that's why the fourth thing I call it refer, not reciprocation. Mm. And it's be the first to refer, be the first to give concessions, be the first to give services. If I, we're going to have a great time today. Hopefully. We're having a great time already. I'm going to say, hey, you got to get on. I'm going to say to all my friends, you know, I think you'd be great for Mindy's podcast. And that's just be the first to refer. Because if you're the first to refer, you're probably going to get referred back at some point. So those four things will lead to reward of all kinds and including money. So that's the, I guess that's a really, I mean, I can go on, but I won't because it was one question and we're already like a, a, a three hours in. But, <laughs> the, the, um, but the, that to me, yeah, well, I mean, so I would say the definite wealth is not money. Correct. Wealth is, is all the things you do to enrich your life. And then the money, and it's not just do what, you do, do what you love to do and money will follow. This is bigger than that, I think. Well, that isn't even entirely true because I tried that and it didn't work out so well. It's not entirely true. It's not. I think the difference is you can't just do what you love to do. You have to do what you love to do with an intention to make a huge, not just a huge difference, but to know that, you know, I guess ultimately, you know, money is how you keep score more than anything else. Now you need money to live and, and money is very, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying I don't like money. I'm, I'm not a nonprofit. My business is, you know, makes money, but it's, it's, it's a different way to look at it, I think. And, you know, I really believe, I really believe this stuff. And, you know, the difference is, you know, if I go back to my early career when I worked at Boardroom for 34 years and I, you know, I started as an employee, I became, eventually became an equity partner. So I was working like an owner. Um, so I was more an entrepreneur than an entrepreneur, which you mentioned, maybe you want to go to that direction. But the point I wanted to make about that is that, you know, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth, but I also wasn't, you know, like Joe Polish, you know, doing crack cocaine on the back of a truck and finding a Gary Halbert book. I don't have that story. I, I, can't, I can't apologize for not having, I, I don't want to apologize for saying I didn't come from shit and I made, a, I made something of myself. I didn't come from, you know, wealth in the traditional sense. My parents were working class, 
I had to go to a state school or a state school for college, but I wasn't really deprived. I, I, you know, but I wasn't spoiled and I didn't have a lot of money. And so, you know, knowing that um, is very important for me because it's, it's a very boring story to the ones who have had the, the hero's journey. You know, I, I got divorced. I got, I went bankrupt. I was a drug addict. I was this, I was that. Right. And, and, you know, you, you ended up great and I ended up great, I think. And so it's not, it's not where you come from. It's where you end up. And so I don't like to, I, I, I sometimes apologize for not having a heart and I've never gone bankrupt. I've never had huge money problems. Although, you know, I was, I was paycheck to paycheck, a good chunk of my early career, you know, living in New York and juggling everything and all of that. But, you know, I think you make it from, you, you go from something and you, get, and you get to something and there's so many different paths. But if your path is always either, I think you make a good, you made a good point by saying, you know, if, if you do what you love, the money will follow. You know, I don't, I don't think that's, I think it's got to have a lot more dimensions to it. And I think the big thing is intentionality. You got to be really intentional about the steps you're doing and not just, although some people want to be artists, so they're going to paint, they're not going to make any money, a lot of them or they're going to be an actor slash waitress or waiter. And that is a way to do it too. But if you're more intentional about it and intentionality can go a lot of different ways, the way you, the way you go after a job, the way like an art job or an acting job, certain people go after it in different ways. My son is a football coach. He, I wanted him, he wanted to be in, you know, in division one football. And I gave him all these great ideas, which of course he didn't take any of them. Right. (laughs) Things like, you know, why don't you write to the coach, the coaches that you really want to work for instead of trying to find somebody that's going to choose you and and if they have a book, send them a copy of their book to get them to autograph it for you, put a, a federal express and put another federal express return envelope so they can send it back to you and basically say, if it's true, you're my favorite coach of all time. I love you. You know, I don't know if I, I'd love to work for you someday. That's not what this is about, but can you sign this book and send it back to me? I think he would get an interview somewhere doing that. And if he doesn't, it's, you didn't lose anything. You got an autographed book from your favorite coach. (laughs) You know what I love about you, Brian, is that I don't care what we're talking about. It could be any subject on earth and somehow, somehow you will link it back to mail direct marketing. (laughs) Like the whole, the whole thing in your world. Here's something that I want to say, because I learned this recently and I think it makes such great sense. I'd love your take on it. Somebody said, you know, here's the thing about following your passion or doing what you love. The practical side of that, it's not that just the money's going to show up magically and, you know, happily ever after, but the practical side of it is that you have to love that thing enough to put the time in and the effort in for the duration that it's going to take to get there, you know, there being like some form of success. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it it goes to, you know, Malcolm Gladwell and Outliers, 10,000 hours toward mastery of anything. And, you know, some people, you go on, I, I went on the Google for that. And there are people all over the place like, oh, it doesn't take 10,000 hours to become a concert violinist. I'm a prodigy, blah, blah, blah. So maybe it's 5,000 hours. It's not two hours. Still. It's, 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 not, a, it's not a year even. Right. And so it's true. And the thing is, the thing is, this is very interesting. 
when I, um, I, in college, I was an English major. I was the film critic for my school paper. I was, I was, I was totally into film. In fact, when I graduated college, I was going to do one of three things. I was going to either become a film critic for the New York Times, which meant I had to go to film criticism school at NYU, and I, I applied and I got in. I was going to be an English professor. How's that for boring? But I got, I got an appointment at Idaho State University in Pocatello, Idaho, to get into a PhD program in English. Or I was just going to be an umpire for baseball, because that's one of my passions. And I was going to just go to umpire school and become an umpire. And of course, I didn't do any one of those three things. But you've and kind of done all of those things. I have, yeah. So I was going to circle back because I think that uh, it's very observant, <laughs> very observant. Um, but the thing was, I didn't know those are the three things that were would say would be my passions at that point in my life when I'm, you know, 21, 22 years old. But then I started, you know, I got one job, and then I went to work at board. I just went out and got a job in New York. I gave out resumes on the street. Got one job off the street. Then I. I interviewed at boardroom. I got a job at boardroom. Wait, hold on. I, when you say like gave out resumes on the street. Yeah, I, I, um, I was living at home after college. Yeah. And so I took, a, 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 it was a book called The LMP. This is 1980, 1980? <laughs> yeah. It's too far back. We can't it's remember. 80, it's, it's 1980 because I, I started in boardroom in 81. So this is late 1980. It was, it was actually, it was the uh, fall that John Lennon was shot. I was, uh, I was living at home and I took a book called the LMP, the Literary Marketplace. And I went to all the publishing companies in New York. I, w I was in the library and I was going through each one. I get, I get there, Simon & Schuster, HarperCollins, Playboy, you know, any kind of uh, publishing company, sometimes small ones, sometimes big ones. And I would map out my route for the next day in New York based on where they were located. So I'd have a, I'd have a day where I sometimes went into 30 companies in a day. I didn't, wasn't taking lunch. So, you know, I was, I didn't have money for lunch. So I would, <laughs> I would, I would, I would do the 30, the 30, uh, res and it was a resume drop off. Wow. And sometimes I got, you know, sometimes I got an interview out of that. Sometimes they said, oh, we'll keep it on file, the usual, but I just wanted to be in action. And that's about intentionality. I wanted to be in action in something to get a job. So one of the companies was Samuel French, which was, which was a play publisher. I don't know if you've ever seen, if you've ever in shows in high school, but they're these little scripts, uh, Samuel French Inc. And when you, what you do, the, the job I had was, and they, they hired me right off the street. I mean, it was $150 a week, $9,000 a year. So they weren't taking a <laughs> risk on me either. Yeah. Um, so I took that job and it was basically, you know, the royalty rights. You're going to do the odd couple in a high school in Texas. You got to pay royalties on it. Uh, and then we sell them the scripts with the, after, you, after they pay for the royalties. And so that was the business. It's a collection agency, basically, and a script company. That's why, that's why they were on my list, because they published scripts. I was there for six months, and I got the interview at Boardroom. And when I went to Boardroom, I said, I, 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 the job was in list management. I didn't know what list management was. I, didn't know, I thought a list broker was someone that worked on Wall Street. I had no idea what this thing was. I said, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to, that would have, you know, took the, English professor and the film critic stuff out of the way. Right. Um, and I thought, I, but I said, I'll take the job, um, you know, and I took the job and then a job opened up in editorial like a year later. And I remember going to Marty Edelston, the founder of the company. I said, Marty, I really want that job. And this was like a turning point. He said, I didn't know I love what I was doing, but I love what I was doing already. And he said, Brian, you know, you have a nose for marketing. 
and, and my nose wasn't quite as big as it is today, but he said, you have a nose for marketing. And he said, you know, I, and, you know, you're 23 years old and the president of the company looks at you and says, you have a nose for marketing. Don't go over there and put headphones on with no sound, noise reduction and write all day. You'll be basically going to waste your time. And that was a turning point. And then I started getting into list management. I started getting into all the marketing, direct marketing. And that's where it all took off. And, you know, small moments, you know, you can, you can pinpoint them. But the point here is that I knew that I would be able to encompass, because I, I was falling in love with the business. I love direct marketing. I mean, it's measurable marketing. It's like you want feedback on what you're doing. You know, we were just talking about your event. Have a live event have to figure out the numbers. You got to figure out how you're going to, you know, get people to enroll and how many and how much it costs you and all that. And I wasn't a math guy, but I loved the numbers of direct marketing. I just loved it. So I'm falling in love with this business and I was making a decent salary, not a lot at the time. And, you know, but I graduated to making a lot of money by doing what I love in an environment where I was intentional. And as you said, putting in the 10,000 hours and yeah. I really put it in. I was all over the place. I was meeting everybody. I was, you know, that's why, you know, you said, you know, you did this podcast and you know, everybody, you know, you and Sean were just so visible and I became very visible in the direct marketing list business. And it just made my, had my career take off because I was focused. So it was a long answer, but yes, I totally agree with the, the, the idea that mastery does not happen in an hour. You really have to focus on it. And so Fast forward to where I am today. One of the most fun things I do in my business is write my weekly blog. So I'm writing all the time. I umpire all the time uh, in um, varsity high school games, uh, tournament Little League games. Little, um, I'm going to get to the Little League World Series one day. So I'm, I'm umpiring, you know. So if it's not my profession, it's my, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a hobby, but it really, again, I'm putting the time in to mm -hmm. get to a high level there. I mean, Marty used to say, if you're going to be, you know, you only have one life, why not make, you, make yourself the world's best? So that's always, not that if I'm not the best, I'll, I'll, I'll cry and, 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 you know, wither on the vine, but I'm always trying to achieve as best as I can. So I, I've got the writing. It's one of my favorite things to do. It's sometimes painful, but I, I get it done every week. Um, I have the umpiring. And, and the English professor thing, it's funny because I realized that once I got into direct marketing, Everything I read in college was all fiction. I mean, from Dickens to Steinbeck to Norman Mailer to everything. And then I got out of college. I've read less than 10 fiction books since I graduated college. Are you serious? Come on, you're missing out. Yeah, I, I just, these are, there's some fiction in there, but it's mostly nonfiction. I, I know I'm missing out, actually. As, as someone who writes copy and someone who loves marketing, um, I am missing out. Um, and I know that. Yeah. But, and you can give me a lecture on that. <laughs> Instead of a lecture, I'll just give you some book recommendations. Here's what I would like to tell you about. You're so the English professor because let me tell our listener about what it's like to attend an event that you put on. You come onto the stage and there's like 40,000 quotes <laughs> of everybody that you've ever read or met or respected. And there's so much about writing. It, you are the English professor. Yeah. And the thing about the quotes is interesting because we were going to talk a little bit about if you want to talk about it, because we, we were 
lamenting about missing Sean. And um, it's tough, you know? I, I hate that people die, you know? Because you can't <laughs> questions anymore. You know, you can't interact with them. It sucks. It just sucks. Okay, but that's a normal, natural part of life that we all will experience. You almost experienced that not that long ago. Yeah, I, 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 in April of 2019, I had a, a massive stroke, totally out of the blue. I had, a, I had an AFib, a blood clot, whole right side of my body was basically paralyzed and I dropped to the ground. I couldn't even lift my arm, then I passed out. And two days later, I woke up and I was, you know, I was fine. The neurosurgeon said, um, yeah, I'm not fine. I wasn't fine before. The I was show. fine. <laughs> yeah, no, my family says, you know, you know, that you, Brian, I, they didn't even, even tell me I had to go to speech therapy. And my family goes, maybe you should go. <laughs> not that I was any different. But <laughs> um, so I got up and I, and, and what, one of the first things I thought about and this ties into quotes that you mentioned that I always put the quotes up and I was teaching through the quotes through my experience, but it was all based on everybody else's quotes. Not some of them are mine, but not, not as, not that many. And so I, I got up in the hospital and I said, you know, if I had died, like what kind of footprint would I have left? And, you know, I had my book already, but my book came out the day before my stroke. Which is so crazy. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. So, and I, you know, it stalled the launch a little bit. I mean, I've sold 10,000 copies in a year and a half, which is good. I probably would have done a little better. I might want to relaunch it or something. I don't know. But here or there, what I, I said, okay, I have a book that kind of talks about my life and my career, but it wasn't that satisfying to have a book. And then I realized, wait, I've got a, I've got a website that I put together before my stroke which is Overdeliver, the name of the book is Overdeliver. So it's overdeliverbook.com. On that site, I have these 11 bonuses, and I'm not selling them here, I'm just telling you what they are, because they all honored one of my mentors. I have 19 keynote speeches from Jay Abraham. I have a swipe file that's this thick from Dan Kennedy. I have um, you know, two books in a PDF form of two of my direct mail mentors, Gordon Grossman and Dick Benson. I've got Perry Marshall. I've got something from him in there that he and I did uh, on video. And so I realized that, that that made me feel a lot better. I was depressed that I only had my book. I wasn't depressed that I had the site, which hopefully no one will ever take down, so that it shows that because it, it ties into uh, the movie Coco. I don't know if you, you've seen that movie. It's a Pixar film, and it's amazing. Um, also, the documentary about Pixar is great. Going off in tangents. Come back. Okay, so now... Um, <laughs> I like that you just say that to yourself. I don't even have to say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So Coco, Coco is an amazing movie. because It's, it's, it's a Mexican film. It's, it's He's going to visit the dead people in his family, right? Right, right. It's, it's all about the uh, uh, Dia de Muertos, which is the Day of the Dead in Mexico. And there's like two or three days, I think it's in November, where they celebrate the dead, not mourn the dead, celebrate the dead. And without giving away the movie, because everybody here is gonna run to watch it now, it's basically, you're permanently dead when no one remembers you. It's called the final death. But when you're just in heaven or wherever you are, and if people are remembering you, you're, you're happy-go-lucky. You're coming to the celebration. They're remembering you. I'm, 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 I'm in the party. I love and so, it. I realize not that all the people on my overdeliverbook.com site are dead, but a lot of them are. Mm -hmm. And so 
it, it just gave me a, a really good feeling that I was like doing my part to make sure that none of these, my heroes, my, the people, and, and that's where the quotes come from. I mean, I've had people tell me, Brian, you, you rely on everybody else. You don't have any of your own thoughts. And I don't, I don't believe that, but I do rely on what I've learned and what I've built in my life. And then you put your own spin on it. And I do my own, it's my own experiences in marketing that are all outlined in my book. And it's based on concepts that I learned from other people. And I get, and I think the worst thing you can ever do is use a concept and not give it credit to the person who gave it to you, right? Thank I mean, you. I yeah. hate that. That's like one of my biggest pet peeves. Yeah, I'm like, look, what, just quote them or, or reference the source. You like, get more respect for that. You yeah. get more respect for, for telling who you got it from than, than taking credit for it and then finding out that you didn't invent it. Yeah, then you just yeah. look like you're stealing, which is exactly. not cool at all. I mean, you've done this really well, kind of that concept of standing on the shoulders of giants and then, you know, seeing your own thoughts from that perspective. You've, you've done that yeah. well. So let me ask you about this because a lot of the listeners to this show, they are either early in their entrepreneurial career or they still have a quote regular job and they would love to become an entrepreneur, especially this year where there's all this craziness happening and they may have lost their job or, you know, there's some numbers, a lot of new entrepreneurs popping up. Totally. And it's, I mean, to me, that's a great thing. Not that it was a great cause for that, but the, the right. result is great. Right. You for years, like when I met you, you worked at boardroom and you would come to Arizona and we would hang out you, me and Sean, and we would talk to you again and again. And we'd be like, so Brian, when are you leaving? When are you doing your own thing? Like, when is this going to be the Brian Kurtz show instead of all the other stuff? I would love for you to talk a little bit about that desire and then also that decision to finally leave and just venture out on your own. Because there's a lot of fear there. There's a lot of unknown and you did yeah. it. It's a, it's a great question. I, I think that, first of all, on, on both sides, Knowing I want to go out on my own is not a reason to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> and, and, and then being in a company with a full-time job is not a reason to leave. Right. That, that's important. That's, a, that's the baseline. Now, go back to the, you're, you're in a company, you have a job, how much freedom do you have? Um, I ended up with almost all the freedom that I could ever have if it was, in fact, I almost bought the company. So, right. you know, I had all the freedom that I needed to do what I wanted to do up until the point I left. So that became, it became a situation where I kind of had to leave. Um, however, um, the interesting thing is that when you're, if you can become entrepreneurial in your job, it, it makes it so much more satisfying. So I had, I was lucky. I had, a, I had a, a boss, basically, Marty, who was the founder and the CEO, who treated me like not only a son, but as, you know, a senior member of management from after I was there for maybe 15 years. So I had a lot, and you know, he was still very hands-on, but as time went on, I got more and more freedom as I showed what I could do. I was patient, again, putting in the hours, putting in you know, so there was a lot of frustration in there. I'm not going to say there wasn't, but I saw something that I couldn't get and I didn't have a great idea for a business. So again, 
you know, there were people that were at Boardroom that got fed up working for Marty. And they said, oh, why do I have to do his newsletter? I can do a newsletter. And every person who went out on their own to do that failed. And mm -hmm. so I said, not that that wasn't a reason not to do it either, but it said, you know, if I'm going to do something on my own, I don't think it's going to be the same business. It's going to be an offshoot of this business that, that is in my sweet spot, which at that point became direct marketing education at the end, not necessarily, you know, million piece uh, direct mailings and, and you know, online uh, e-newsletters. That wasn't the business I wanted to be in. I wanted to be in a business of basically Jay Abraham says, you know, if you did it, you have an obligation to teach it. And that was the ultimate. And, and he, he, he actually, Jay will go further because he has to, he'll add another adjective, of course, but he'll say <laughs> the moral obligation to teach it. And he's right. He's At right. least one more it. adjective. Yeah. And so moral was an important adjective there. So, so, okay, now to your audience. So if you're in a situation where you're at a job, and there are still opportunities to be entrepreneurial, meaning that you can call your own shots with not too much supervision, but you want some supervision, you want feedback loops. So you don't want no supervision, but a really good team kind of thing. Usually that's gonna happen in an entrepreneurial company that you're not the entrepreneur in because the entrepreneur will either be holding on too tight and then you have to get out at some point, or yeah. they're gonna let go a little bit. I mean, Marty let go because Basically, he had a stroke in 2001, and he sort of had to let go. And then I, you know, I was able to, you know, do some great stuff in the mid-2000s that, you know, were some of the biggest successes of the business. But I always gave him credit. You know, I always said I couldn't have done this without being trained by you, which is true. But I did it. And I'm not going to not take responsibility. I took the blame for all the other shit. Why shouldn't I not take the <laughs> right. credit for the credit. good stuff? Yeah. But but um, so if you have if you're working for an entrepreneur, you're working in a, a what I'll call any kind of a learning organization where people are encouraged to go out, go to go to conferences, mostly virtual now. So go go to go to virtual conferences, go to live conferences, um, go to seminars, go, uh, speak at seminars, make a name for yourself within your organization. And so you'll set yourself up if you do want to go out on your own. Now. If you're working in a company and you have this itch that I have to go out and, and start something on my own, it depends how, you know, how much you have to scratch the itch. I was somewhat entrepreneurial, but I wasn't like desperate to have my own company. But I, I did want to do something at some point. The other piece is that if, if you have some things you can test, and this is me being cautious, and I, I'd say to your folks, you know, if, you're, if you have a good gig, it's just not the ideal gig in your company. If you can keep, hold on to it and say, I'm gonna leave, but I don't know what I wanna leave for. Whereas, you know, some people say, I have to be an entrepreneur, I have to get out and, and yeah. And you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna. <laughs> and you're gonna and then out. you end up living in your office like I did and filing bankruptcy. <laughs> right, but some people can get out of that. Some people don't. It, maybe the idea wasn't ready, it wasn't ripe yet. There's a lot of reasons. It's not you. It's not because you're incompetent. It's because the situation lent itself. But you needed to get out from whatever full-time job you had, and it became desperate in some way. I always use the phrase: if if you can stomach it, and it's not if it's horrible, you got to get out. But you know, if, if you can stomach it, but if you're but if you're unhappy and it's not really jazzing you completely, you should start really. Oh, every night you should go home and take you know keep a diary keep a journal 
what, what's, what's jazzing me today? What was exciting about my job today? What did I hear about someone else's job today? And some variations of that. Because the idea isn't going to just come like that. It's going to come over, over a period of time. And why not have a steady job while you're doing it? That's the conservative piece in me because I, I don't have that, you know, drive to be an entrepreneur, didn't have the drive to be an entrepreneur at all costs. The crazy but, risk factor. Yeah, a little risk averse. It's also, at least looking at it from my perspective now, it's also a stamp of maturity. My job was not the worst thing ever. It was fine. And yes, I was unhappy. I was unfulfilled in it. But could I have stayed there a few more years while I ramped up my other stuff? Absolutely. Yeah. But, you but didn't, I, didn't, I got, that, I got that, that theory when I was interviewing people at Boardroom for jobs working for me or someone who was under me. And when I was interviewing them and they were on the fence, but I really wanted them. Um, I never would make somebody, you know, you got to work for me. That you're, 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 The job you're in sucks. I never would say that. I said, I would say at the, at the end of the interview when I knew they knew I was giving them an offer um, and they were undecided. I said, look, I'm not, I can't make the decision for you, but just go home and think about exactly what you're giving up at the previous job. Write it down, what I'm giving up. And maybe even you want to do the old, you know, split, split screen, what I'm giving up, what I'm getting. But I would say just, what are you giving up? And because and, and, I knew in a couple of cases, they were giving up nothing because yeah. the, the place where they were working was a dead end. I saw it. And there was one I remember interviewing, though, the job they had was maybe a better growth potential than the job they would take with me. And I even put that, I, I even, you know, expressed that in the interview. And the person took my job and, and they grew nicely and maybe more than they would have in the other job. But, you know, the key is it, it's always your life. You know, you have to make the decision. And I guess to make a decision out of desperation or out of necessity uh, is a lot more, it, it can be, it can work, but isn't it better to do it, you know, strategically? And strategically might say, you know, staying in something that's not ideal, uh, but I can still learn there, but I can't stay, I know I can't stay forever. I mean. You know, and, and I guess, you know, once Marty died in 2013, you know, not that he was that involved in the business, but I, I thought I, I, I'm going to have to go. And the interesting thing, I thought I'd go the following year in 2014. And what happened was I came up with this idea to do this big tribute event for him after yeah. he died. And that was, that was the Titans of Direct Response in 2014, September. And I got, and this is the thing, when you ask people to be on your podcast, they say yes before you even get the words out, right? And that was what happened with me. I, I got, you know, I got, I got Jay Abraham and Joe Sugarman and uh, Dan Kennedy and, and Gary Bensavenga. I got the best. The best. Speakers, the best. It was like the best event. Dan Kennedy even said it was the best event of the decade, but it's last decade, so it's all new. <laughs> but, but what happened was I didn't even know that I was planning my exit yet, although I still thought I was going to leave. Yeah, we did a, we did a third day. Uh, VIP day at the Titans event. It was a full day of hot seats. Me and David Deutsch were running them. I had, I did 26 hot seats in 10 and a half hours. You've seen me do hot seats at the events yep. that you were at. So I, I, I have been on the hot seat. You yet. have been on the hot seat. Yeah. <laughs> probably we propelled your career to new heights. Um, 
I, 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 and I realized after that day that this is what I was meant to do next. It was not just do hot seats, but to be a counsel, to be teach what I had done in, in the words of, of Jay Abraham. And I, I had the model. So that January, I, I, I resigned. I had my business up and running in, in, in two months. And that September, I had my first Titans Mastermind meeting. 23 people at $20,000. I had myself a business. And it wasn't that hard because I had, I mean, it shouldn't have been that hard. I had 34 years of practice of developing my network. And, you know, but I, it was the right time at the right place. And again, you know, there are only two times, now and not now. Right. So I, I hate lamenting about, oh, if I went out earlier, it would have been better. If I went out later, it would have been better. You can you can. And even if you go through some hardship, uh, in your case, it's still, you know, you're going to end up in a good place. If you're a good person, you know, you're smart, you're, and I'm saying this to you and all the people who are, who are you know, listening to this, it'll work out. It really will. You also have then the story. Like I use this all the time, my own experience in my coaching, in my yeah. speaking, all of this stuff. So Brian, this has been absolutely phenomenal. I'm going to have to have you back on the show at some point in time because you know we could talk forever. Yes. But I do want to say this as we wrap up. I have studied lots and lots of copywriting because I also, you know, I, I am a writer by nature. Yes. So wow. in, the, in the whole of the business, I, I gravitated a lot to that naturally. And I will say I have learned the most from you, from things that you have sent me, from your right, not my stuff but stuff well, that I know was great from you yeah. teaching at your events you know although you start way too early in the morning for my taste like I always loved your events and that is such a gift to me because you really showed me how I could take something that I was already decent at and I already loved and then utilize it in this other thing that I loved and really build off of that. I've had people say to me, oh, Mindy, who, who's your copywriter? And I'm like, I write my own copy. You're your best copywriter. Yep. And that has surprised some people that I feel like very proud that they're thinking that I have a copywriter, but really that's thanks to you. I mean, truly. So I so appreciate well, that. Well, you are always a great, you'll always be a lifelong student like me. Always. Um, and that's important. And, you know, you came to the, those, those mastermind meetings, you know, ready for, you know, ready for bear. You, uh, you know, you did a hot seat. You even, you did a presentation at one of them. We did a Titan spotlight with you. I mean, you know, you're, you're a giver and you just, you show up big and, you know, you show up big in, in podcasts, in, in, in live events, in everything you do. And that's why you'll always be successful. Thank you. I, I mostly, mostly I appreciate your friendship. It is always a good time to hang out with you. I am looking forward to the time when it can be real life as opposed to virtual. <laughs> thank you so much. I have one further question. If okay. people are interested and they're like, well, I want to be a copywriter or I want to know more about this Brian Kurtz guy, where would you like them to go following this show? Well, if you want to go somewhere where you don't have to spend any money all you have to do is opt into my, what I call, I don't even call it my list because lists are people too, remember. So <laughs> yes, I call they it are. Online family. And if you want to opt into my online family, go to briankurtz.net, uh, B-R-I-A-N-K-U-R-T-Z.net. You go there. There's an interview there that's, uh, some people have, a couple, somebody just sent me a complaint about it because it was too long. 
but it's the okay, three biggest wait, successes. It was you being too long? What? <laughs> it's me and Perry Marshall, too. So, like, Perry's going off. So, it's like, it's the three biggest successes of my career. You opt in, you get the interviews mailed, uh, sent to you, and then you're on my list. A better way to get on my list, um, but you have to spend about $17. Um, oh, I don't big know time. <laughs> so, you go to overdeliverbook.com, just as it sounds, overdeliverbook.com, and you go there and You'll see on the site there are, you know, testimonials from my book from some really amazing people. But then you scroll down and there's like 11 bonuses that are just, this is the thing that, you know, got me to perk up a little bit after my stroke that I had this site. And so you go, there's buttons there to go wherever you want to buy the book. Amazon's best. It's the cheapest. You go to Amazon, you come back at $17. You put the order number in where it says, you know, put your order number in and you get access to the whole site. The bonuses are better than the book. The book's not bad. Um, and as you said, you know, it just writing, being aware of the world around you. John Carlton talks about this all the time. You know, you, to become a great copywriter, you got to do it by walking around, whether it's walking around on your computer, walking around in the forest, walking around at Walmart where your customers might be. You got to walk around and see stuff. Yep. And and be mindful of it. I, and I know this is right in your wheelhouse too, but you know, being totally mindful all the time will, is the first step in, in being a great copywriter. I mean, there's a lot of other things involved. I am not a great copywriter. I am a writer who loves to write and you know, I have my own style. I couldn't write a package or a video sales letter soup to nuts. That's not the kind of writing I do. But I am a copywriter. So I mean, you could do that if you wanted to. I don't. I don't want to. Really. Right. That's and, different. And I probably because I'm. Uh, I, it's too hard, and I probably fail. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> whatever. Whatever. Whatever anyway. the reason. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I thank am you. so delighted to have spent this time with you, and I know our listeners got tons of value. So once again, thank you so much. Thanks, Mindy. See you soon. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to subscribe to The Lucrative Society on iTunes. And please leave a review of the podcast. Visit lucra.com for transcripts and resources or to become a member of The Lucrative Society where I coach purpose-based entrepreneurs on business, mindset, and heartset. Lucra, where wealth equals well-being.